This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asha Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And please go online and join the Yom Tov Media Club. YomTovMediaClub.com. Go online, join the club, and help us get the word out there to as many people as possible. Things that make a difference. For example, today's class, which I'm intending to make a difference. I'm always intending to make a difference in here unless I'm in a lousy mood. At which point, I'm going to teach someone else's class. You know, I don't always have to have a fresh class, right? In a low mood, how would I create a fresh class? But how often am I in a low mood? Not very often. Okay, did I make a bracha on my water already? Did someone hear me make a bracha? Yes. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Here we go. Obviously, it wasn't a very memorable bracha. It's a shame. Um, what we're going to do is a bit of the evolution of belief. So we're going to start over here. Is this on the camera over here? Yeah. We're going to start over here. And what we have here in this circle is all physicality. Everything in the physical world, the whole space-time continuum, is inside that circle. And this is the edge of the universe. Like exp- The edge of the expanding universe is the line going around. So our galaxy is here, and inside that dot is our solar system, and inside that dot is Earth, and inside that dot is Jerusalem, and inside that dot is you. Okay? So this is this expanding universe. Now, every human being is inside the universe. I'll just draw you now. Here's you. Okay, that's you. Not to scale, obviously. And you're inside the universe. And you can't help but wonder... What is outside the expanding universe? What is out there? You get to know more or less what's in here. But the great wonder is, what is out there? And that's obviously the question about God. Like, is there a God? Is God out there? What's outside the circle? And that's like a really important question that that people generally handle, or at least they used to have that question before smartphones. Now the biggest question is, how will I save battery? on my smartphone after everything I'm going to have to do today. Like, when am I going to be able to plug in? But once upon a time, the most important question was, what's outside the circle? What's out there? Now, there's different options. Well, one option is there's nothing out there, which would be, what's that called? Atheism. So atheism would say, atheist. Is that right? Atheist? Is there's nothing out there. Okay? Now, is that an intellectual position? No. It's not. I know atheists think they're having an intellectual position. It's not really. Hey, how's it going? You guys want to sit together? No, come. We can move. It's, we're not, we, ain't, we, ain't, we get couples together. We don't split them up. Yeah, that's a good spot. I like that spot. QC still? So what we're doing is the evolution of uh, understanding what's outside the universe. So the first is there's nothing outside the universe, which is the atheist. How's it going, ladies? A table for two? You like a table for two? Right in front. No, come grab the front. Grab the front. It's good if you grab the front because then I, I'm focused more on the camera. Because they're like, they're just... It's not a big deal. Just... Yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't. Oh, she has to come around. Oh, no, she doesn't. Okay. Make yourselves at home. Sorry to drag you to the front. It's okay. I, just, I hate that spot back there. I find myself, like, jostling around. Just, what? Oh, yeah, and tell me if there's some important questions. Okay. Um, you see the questions, too, back there? Yeah. We'll put them in charge so you don't have to look up. Any important questions, let me know. Now, what would be awesome is this if this screen... If we have a big screen, so you can watch the people watching. No, because they have questions. They sometimes want to interact, and now they have uh, the ability to interact. Like, that's a new technology. We can add them. How cool would that be? And we even have a screen. We have a projector. We're like, we have most of the technology. Okay, now, the first, we're doing the kind of the evolution of belief, because you're inside the universe. This is outside the universe. In, out, in, out. And what's out there? So the first thought is there's nothing out there. Now, a lot of atheists think they're intellectuals because they're like, why would I believe in something you can't see, you can't prove? Like, what, do you want me to believe in that? 
I'm going to believe in a God that you can't see, that you can't touch, you can't feel. Like, I, I know there's nothing out there. Because everything that's in the world of things is in here. So whatever's out there is outside the realm of things. So I'm certainly not going to believe in anything out there. Sounds right. It sounds unintellectual to believe something's out there. Whereas it sounds intellectual to say there's nothing out there. Because why would I say there is if I can't know? Why would I go on the side there is if I know there's probably nothing out there? So the reason why it's not intellectual, that move, the reason the atheist is a non-intellectual in that particular thing is that the atheist believes there's nothing out there when we don't know if there's something out there. Meaning, you get it, that we don't know. You, there's no way to know what's out there. And so there's a much better position than the atheist. And it's much more honest. That's you inside the universe again. And that's called the agnostic. The agnostic is, is the intellectual. That's why you'll notice if you meet smart people, they're generally agnostics. Okay, agnostics are intellectual atheists. Okay, they don't know. But they're not about to say there's nothing. Because the only way you could know there's nothing is you'd have to, the same way you know anything. Like, you have to have an instrument and a measure. To know I have five fingers, I have my eyes looking at the five fingers in my instrument. If I want to measure wind velocity, I can have a wind meter and see how fast it's going. I need an instrument of measure. Whereas if you want to know what's outside the circle, you would need an instrument of measure that measures things outside space and time. Tell me, is there any instrument that measures things outside space and time besides certain kinds of mushrooms? <laughs> is there any instrument that measures things outside space and time? Is there? No, there is none, because the instrument itself would have to be what? Outside space and time. You get that? So no one's ever going to know what's outside space and time, because there will never be. Now, you know how there's certain people who say, well, science just hasn't figured this out yet? You know, there's people like that. Science hasn't figured this out. Then. Now, they're right. Science is figuring things out all the time. But there's usually an evolution of science figuring it out. It's getting closer and closer to figuring things out. Tell me, how much progress has there been in science, in the scientific community, creating an instrument of measure that measures things outside space and time? How much progress have they made? Zero. So for someone to say that they just haven't figured it out yet, you might hear like an elderly, you know, your Aunt Ethel who like doesn't believe in God or something. Like, oh, they haven't figured it out yet, that's all. They just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, you tell Aunt Ethel, they haven't figured it out and they ain't gonna. Because they haven't gotten anywhere with this. Because you can't have an instrument of measure that's outside space and time. Okay, just it's never going to happen. And that's why every university has a, has a, um, a, oh gosh, how do you say machlaka in English? What? <coughs> department thing. Every university has a department. Department, 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 department. I'm so tired of forgetting that word. Every... It's called a department. Every university... <laughs> These guys didn't spend a lot of time in university. Nor did I, but for that matter. Every university has a department called theoretical physics. It's literally called theoretical physics. You know why? Because this subject is always going to be relegated to... Theory. And by the way, they like it that way, because then you can stay there and study forever. Because there's no way to ever figure this one out. So you can actually like become a professor of theoretical physics and just stay in the academic community forever. Yeah. And if you if you're like a bit liberal and left wing, you can like go pick it with all the kids and stuff and you know, and uh, I don't know, legalize all kinds of cool stuff and have a good time. Yeah. You're like in university forever. So anyway, that's called theoretical physics. Now the agnostic, on the other hand, is more intellectual, because the agnostic has no idea what's out there. The agnostic doesn't know. Maybe there's a God. Maybe there's not a God. We can't know these things. And therefore, the agnostic is in a position of being an intellectual. He's not a believer. He's not a disbeliever. The agnostic is just saying, maybe there is, and maybe there ain't. And then what happens is there's a famous mathematician philosopher. His name is Pascal. And Pascal created what's called the Pascal Wager. The Pascalian Wager, something. Pascal and his wager. And what's the wager? The wager is 
You have behavior, and then you have death. Okay, behavior and death. So, what does that mean? That when you are living your life, you must behave a certain way. So you can either behave as if there, yes, is a God, or there, no, is not a God. That's how you behave in your life. So what's the agnostic going to do? Well, he's going to kind of pick and choose. Why? Because he knows he will die. So there either was a God, or there was not a God, or there was a God, or there was not a God. You see what's going on here? So the, so the agnostic's going to look at the world and say, like, like, I'm going to die one day because everyone dies. Yeah? No man has walked this earth who did not die. Yeah? I'm going to die too. We're all going to die. And if there's no God, so then none of this world meant anything and it was just whatever, you know, enjoy your soup. Enjoy your craft beer. You know, spend your days filling them as much as you can because this is all you get. Because when you die, there ain't nothing there. Yeah? That's if there's nothing there. On the other hand, what if there is something there? At which point, wow, I better hedge my bets. I mean, I better live, as, I better fill my days with as much as possible in case there's no God. But I also better be a little careful to pay attention to my conscience. That's saying, don't do that. Do that, do that, do that. Don't do that. Do that, do that, but don't do that. And be like more of a faithful, like upstanding person. Because, because you, what if there's a God? What if there's a God and you ignored your, your conscience? Because your conscience is your compass. And if there's no God, so you tell your conscience, I don't know, you have another drink. There's nothing like alcohol to get rid of your conscience. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if, if there's no God, so then your conscience is just like some, I guess the atheists figure it's just some kind of weird mistake in the genetics. Conscience, or they'll figure out why it's really good for evolution. Why your conscience is really good. You should know, by the way, your conscience is not great for evolution. It's got its pluses, but it's also got its minuses. Like, for example, the amount of money and food and help that we give out of our house means less money and less food for my kids. But we can't stop doing it. Because when the people come to our door and they need something, our conscience kicks in. And it's like, you don't look like my wife and you don't look like my kids, mister. But you do look hungry. And I can't just close this door without bringing out a couple cans of something or at least handing you a 50 shekel or 20 shekel or 100 shekel or something. And so you could say that it's just anti-Darwinian to be giving this guy my stuff. On the other hand, the atheist would say, no, it's, it's, it's in the system to keep the species alive. You understand? It's like your conscience is here to keep the species alive. Because if, for example, someone was unfaithful and screwed up their marriage and therefore screwed up their kids and their family, it would like mess up the world to be more depressed and suicidal people. And, and your conscience that keeps you faithful is, is good for the planet. So that's their argument. It's a pretty good argument. It's not great. It's pretty good because we haven't evolved much considering that in the last century more people have died at the hands of humans, human evil, human malevolence that's taken place in the last hundred years. I mean, we haven't gotten very far, have we, with this conscience? And who do they usually go after? They usually go after us. And who are the people who taught the world about tzedakah? The Jews. You realize every government in the world thinks that they're in charge of the poor? Tell me, how are the governments doing with the poor? They're a pretty lousy job. Some places better than others, but mostly they stink. And tell me, when, the, when Torah, when the prophecy of Torah tells the Jews that it's up to us to take care of the poor, every individual has to see their, the poor as their personal responsibility. How, how are the poor? Like, for example, in the observant communities where I live, the black attitude community. How are the poor doing over there? Amazing. The poor do amazing over there because we're all taking personal responsibility for them. We see them as our problem. And in fact, the word tzedakah, you should know, is not charity. It's the word tzedek, which means to, it's like scales are called tzedek. 
Moznaim, or it's part of tzedek. You always see that when it comes to the word tzedek, you'll see that they'll use the scales. Why? Because if you wound up with more and he wound up with less, but then you send over a couple cans of beans over there, yeah, mm, tzedek, tzedakah. Like we, we, we made sure things equaled out a bit together. We equal out the scales. Meaning it, it's just about being good. Being good. If God blessed you with more, we'll make sure you share it. You want to drive a hot car or something and it means it's going to be less tzedakah coming out of your house? Buy a cheaper car, give more tzedakah. If you really want a hot car anyway, just got to give a bunch more tzedakah. So buy the hot car another year from now when you got a lot more money, they can give a lot more tzedakah. But anyone driving around right now who's a Jewish person who's driving around in a Tesla or he's driving around in some killer, you know, BMW X6 or something like some awesome car. Yeah, I'm, an, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to make sure you're, you're giving away big, serious money to the poor. Big, serious money. And, and also, if someone wants to drive a car like that, don't live in a community where people can't afford that. Move communities to a community where people can't afford that so you're not rubbing it in people's face all the time. Or park it somewhere else. And also, for your own good, because you don't want people's eyes. People can't help themselves. Jealous eye is more powerful than most people's self-control. They can't help but have their jealous eye on you, and you do not want jealous eyes on you. Because what happened, I'll just let you know real quick, just a little Kabbalistic tidbit. A little Kabbalistic corner here. We're going into the Kabbalistic corner. And that is that, you know, all of us have a file in heaven of everything we get that we deserve and everything we get that we don't deserve. It's a file. Now, it happens to be that God, who we also call our Father, is extremely generous. And he generally turns a blind eye on what you deserve and don't deserve, but just flows you tons. Because he's crazy about it. I mean, think about all of you right now. Just take a moment and think how crazy God is about you. Just think about it. Orchestrating your whole life. He literally orchestrates every second of your day. Makes you meet all the right people. For example, for example, all you people here in Israel right now, you think you chose to come here? You choose to come to Israel? You think you did? But what created all the conditions... Like, who was orchestrating all that so that the microphone finally came to your mouth and like, will you go to Israel? And you're like, yes. And then, and then they take the mic away and you're, of course, like, nothing like free will, going to Israel. And meanwhile, God's totally laughing because God orchestrated all those details for you to come to that choice. God is the great orchestrator. He's orchestrating everyone around you. Everywhere you go. And for all you spazzes out there who think God keeps screwing you over for whatever it is, your money, your looks, your weight, your metabolism, your this, your that, your pimples, your this, your that, your that, your like a million reasons why God hates you. For all you spazzes who have been going around like God hates you, don't be a spaz. You're in one gigantic personal growth seminar. It's a really long seminar. <laughs> It's like 70, 80 years. You're in a seminar. Now, I lead seminars. I'm not nice there. But I lead that with so much love. When I lead seminars, I'm crushing the people in there. I'm crushing them. I'm hurting them. They're crying. They're suffering. They're complaining. Well, they, they learned day one to stop complaining because that's going to bring it on double. Because I must bring them to a point, if they're ever going to grow, I must bring them to a point of... Of surrender. surrender, because we never grow till we surrender. That's why rock bottoms, rock bottom for alcoholics is so important. Because until they get there, they won't surrender, they'll keep drinking. My job is to get the participants of my seminars to surrender. How do I do that? I cause them do suffering, not undo suffering do suffering. They don't understand. They're like, why am I having all this undue suffering? Later, they start to realize why I had to break them in the way I broke them. We're all in God's seminar. My seminar is a couple days. God's seminar is a couple decades. So those of you who think, those of you who are a bit spazzy here, who think God's, God hates you because of whatever you wound up with, whether it be parents, Lame, siblings lame, body type lame, 
hair color lame, whatever it is that you think somehow you got screwed over, you should know that there is so much intricate detail involved in your life. And God is orchestrating literally every follicle of your hair and pushing it out as it grows. There's not even a micrometer of, of lapse in God's handiwork with you and everything going on around you. One say. We have to reel that thought back now. How do we get there? Is that what? What, what, what subject was I on? One say. Why'd we go in the car? Oh! It's that God's just pouring it on you. He's pouring his love on you. But there is upstairs a, a file with your name on it of every stupid thing you've done. And every time you've blown off good stuff that you should have been doing. And every time you did anything wrong. I mean, think about it. Can you do anything in this world and it's like not recorded? No. Can you do anything that's not recorded? Every single thing you do in your entire life. It's like you have a billion surveillance cameras and microphones. And, and they're not only testing out what you're saying. That's the microphones. And they're not only testing out what you're doing. That's the... the it's also your thoughts. And can you imagine your thoughts being recorded constantly? You know what it would be if you started walking through the Jewish quarter right now and a megaphone started projecting your thoughts? You would run to the closest basement. You'd get to the closest basement. You'd bury your head under a pit like... How do I get these things off my head? I got megaphones sending my thoughts out. Freaky. By the way, that would be a cool movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't that be a cool movie? Oh my gosh. Oh wow, I get these scripts sometimes right into my brain. But what a cool movie this is. You got this guy who figured out how to get thoughts amplified. And so he just starts amplifying people's thoughts all over the place. He can get whole theaters and, and uh, you know, like a whole busload of people to start amplifying their thoughts. And it's coming out, it's coming out like something from their head. He, like, figured out a way to, like, enable a speaker to come out. Imagine what people would do, and they'd all have to clean up their lives. Everyone would be stuck. There's nothing I can do. My thoughts are speaking loud. Meaning everyone can hear my thoughts, so I better clean them up. Can you imagine? <laughs> Man, you'll be walking through the Jewish quarter and you'll, by every girl you'll walk by it'll say, that's someone's daughter that's someone's daughter that's someone's daughter that's someone's daughter <laughs> and, so, and so like you're walking by these girls and they're just like why is every guy I'm walking by he's not moving his lips but he's got his head saying that's someone's daughter that's someone's daughter that, meaning because he fixed what he used to think about because he was so embarrassed he was so embarrassed about what was coming out of him that he figured out a good line. He's like, oh, that's a good line. That's someone's daughter. You know, because he's thinking like, if I don't want a guy to be thinking that way about my daughter, you know, I, I better not be too, you know, double standard here. Like, I'm going to treat that girl as someone's daughter. I'm going to treat that girl as someone's daughter. In, in honor that when I, have a, when I have daughters, people shouldn't think about, like, because how can a man complain about, about how people are treating their, his daughter if he's treating people's daughters as objects? You understand? Like, it's, it's, I, I tell every man to think about that before he, you know, goes loose clicking on the internet and stuff like that, is to uh, think about someone's daughter there and some guy's suffering. Some guy can't sleep at night over this girl. And... and and also, you wouldn't want your daughter looked at like that. So, so why would you look at someone else's daughter that way? Meanwhile, there's this giant file in heaven of every stupid thing you've ever done. All of us, right or wrong, there's a giant file. And you want to know how much God loves you? He never opens it. He never opens it. He doesn't want to open it. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to come home with my eyes red and like, you know, I was like, you know, stone basically and 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 my mo my mother is so angry i mean she's this was when you guys know there was something called uh, you young people don't know but there was there was something called a war on drugs you know about this there was a war on drugs when you're nancy reagan, nancy reagan was it she was just saying no just saying no she was the biggest pill addict was she really 
Anyway, there used to be this thing called the war. For those of you younger in the room, there was something called the war on drugs. So I grew up in the war on drugs. So like, you know, you'd come home stoned, your mom would be like, he's stoned. You know, and so, and the, my father's like, leave him alone. And meaning he's not, he isn't either, he would say. He isn't either. I don't know what kind of English that is. You have to be like an immigrant to the U.S. to say he isn't either. <laughs> Who else was there? It was only me. You know, he isn't either. Okay. So he would say he isn't either. And I'm like, that's not proper grammar. And, and then she'd be like, and then she'd be like, she'd be like, look at his eyes. You know, and so he's like, his eyes are fine. He's like, no, no, you take him by the shoulders and you look at his eyes. You know, and I'm just this little kid, like under full interrogation, you know, and, and my father would come over. It was amazing. This is how you know how much God loves you. My father comes. He puts his hands on my shoulders. And he looks left. <laughs> and my mom thinks he's looking in my eyes. I'm looking straight up at him. He looks left. He looks right. Way away from my face. He wasn't looking at me. He looks way over there. He looks way over there. He switches back over there and he looks back at her. His eyes are fine. And my father, by the way, would be ten times more upset than she would. But he doesn't want to open my file. Doesn't want to open my file. She's trying to get my file open. Because she knows, like, if he finds out, you know, he used to give us a hard time, you know, and my father, you know, ten years later, my father would be like, how come you guys won't stop smoking grass? You know? And my, my brothers and I would always look at him and say, Dad, you taught us never be a quitter. <laughs> anyway. God doesn't want to look in your eyes, meaning he doesn't want to look in your file. He doesn't want to open your file because he wants to give, 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 give. You ready for this? When you are the source of jealousy, when you open up your, when, when you are the source of jealousy, meaning you're driving the BMW X6 when no one in your neighborhood can afford anything more than a Toyota Corolla. You're wearing the Rolex when everyone else is wearing a Casio. When you walk around like with clearly flaunting your stuff, whatever it may be, it could even be your looks. But when you walk around flaunting your stuff and create jealousy, it opens up your file. That ain't, nobody wants their file open. This is how files get open. The way files get open is with what's called Ein Haraz, called the evil eye. And the evil eye opens the file, and there the file's read, and then what happens is all these beings in the heavenly realms of the parallel universes, they're like, they're like, how did this person get such bracha in their lives? Like, how did they get such blessing? They didn't deserve all that blessing. And next thing you know, that person gets hit bad. And everyone who know, who's seen this happen knows exactly what I'm talking about. You tell me you're a little too young to watch this happen, but... But anyone who's more my age and lived in a community for many years has seen people get hit bad with radical, radical file-opening evil eye. And, and, of course, the whole community, like, knew it. You know, they were, no one would ever say anything, but everyone's like, you know, that family was living high on the hog and rubbing it in everyone's faces for so many years that... You know that, and there you can literally go community by community. You will find highly successful people going through hell. It doesn't make any sense how hell just hits those families. So you got to go, go mellow, man. Go mellow. You got a lot. Share it. Um, just one more thing, and I'll take your questions. One more thing. If you got a lot, I just said it before, but I'm going to say it again. If you got a lot, and you, just, you can't hide it. It's like coming out the edges. You know, it could be something that's just so obvious because of your looks or your brains or your money or whatever it is you got a lot of. Share it. Share it. Share it, share it, share it. So, for example, you really need a car and you live in a community with no cars and you, they're telling you, you want the seven-seater, you want the nine-seater, what car you want? I'll take the nine-seater, please. Because then I can scoop up my community and bring them to the weddings in the community and like I can get people places. When they ask you what color you want the car to be, you tell them I'll take it in white. Because white car in Israel is like invisible almost. 
I'll take the white one, please. And, uh, and you just tint your windows and, and just be of service to people. Take whatever it is you got a lot of. I'll give you a great example is there's communities that don't have that much money, but there's just millionaires in the community. What can they do? I mean, they, they just can't help it. They got an edifice complex, and they must build. So they build a big house. But you know what they do? They create a basement, a big basement. You know what they do with that basement? They turn it into a hall for bar mitzvahs and for brises and, and for, you know, I, I, and literally I can take you to the Jewish communities. Everywhere someone builds a mansion where they don't build mansions in that area, everyone who builds a mansion almost inevitably will have a hall. That's a, with its own entrances and a full facilitated hall where people make simchas there. I happen to know this intimately because I run my seminars in those halls quite, a, quite often over the years. I've got to run a lot of seminars in these halls of very wealthy people who felt the only way they could possibly justify a house like that was a hall. I know another family, they built a mansion and they made one wing of it a rental. You know, full family rental. Like you could raise 10 kids in that thing. And so they're, they're, it's a rental. And a hall also. <laughs> one, one place I really love because they put the hall under the rental. So that way when we're like in my seminars, like when people are like screaming and crying on the top of their lungs in fetal position on the floor, thank God there's a nice plush carpet there too because I pity the food doing that exercise on a hard floor. But, um, but when they're doing the full scream, fetal, you know, the fetal primal scream work. So they're, uh, <laughs> the noise is like, Sounds like a horror movie or something, you know, like it's freaky. So I, I always realized that when we do that exercise, the host would definitely never invite us back again, except thankfully the hall's under the rental. So the people living in that rental are just like. And people who rent generally don't want to call the landlord unless it's, you know, emergency. So it's perfect. I've already been back many times. And please, God, we'll keep going. Yeah. Doesn't God open your file, like, on Yom Kippur and Hashanah? Not that file. So what file is he opening? He opens up your file of how much you're connecting to him on that day. Bahashir Husham. But I thought it was only for, like, Rosh Hashanah, not for Yom Kippur. What's that? I thought Rosh Hashanah was only for Rosh Hashanah, not for Yom Kippur. It's both. It's both. You're, you're just being judged for your future year, and you're supposed to be in the moment. So, like, that file... Yeah, it takes a load off you. Um, you should know everyone who gets freaked out by Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's good news. You're really judged for how you're behaving on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Even when you die, the palace doesn't get open? What's that? Like, even when you die, the palace doesn't get open? Like, it doesn't make sense. We're not discussing after death. Mm. Yom Kippur is a great time to clean up the file, by the way. Right. Yom Kippur is a really good time to open your own file. Meaning, just open it yourself and do, do some, uh, some teshuva on Yom Kippur. And also, like, so having a hall in your house, like, it makes up for, like, the amount of money you have or something. Like, it makes up for, like... Just do... I said share. If you got something, share. It's like, it's like, if you're buying something, if you're sharing, it makes up for the fact that, like, you live in a community that not if has as much money as you or family. It helps. It'd be better to move out. It's better go live in a community of rich people. So build a hall. Build a hall. So you could live with the level of life you want to live at. You just have to share with everybody. Else. Share a lot. Start a chesed organization. Does it make the community feel bad? Like they're just a bunch of chesed people for you? No. Okay. Uh, someone else had a question? Well, she's probably wondering where I am because Nick and I are switch this today. Someone please remind me to call my wife after this class. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Like when you're born, before you're born, like you you have a certain amount of time you're going to live for and death day is already decided and like you can't do anything to change that? Um, you, you cannot change it. The day you're going to exit this world is the day you're going to exit this world. But you can make it earlier with like pro- improper eating, <laughs> adding stress to the heart from weight. And uh, so you can't make it right. Obviously there's suicide. You know the punishment for suicide is, by the way? Is a, can, we, can we open Kabbalistic Corner? Who would like to go into the Kabbalistic Corner? Yeah, the natural one. 
there's an unnatural one is is someone who you know just can't stop eating you know certain foods that are causing the heart stress and then they just can't live much longer how you doing rabbi you got a note for me no that's the punishment you know what the punishment is for suicide punishment for su- the punishment for suicide is that you go into a simulation of this world and you stay in the world forever but no one can see you and you can't get out yeah you can't get out the punishment for leaving early is you never leave that's why you're in God's seminar. It's just like my seminars. You're not allowed to leave. If someone tries, someone tries to leave my seminar, we go after them. I'm not kidding. Hold on one second. Mommy? Hi. I'm still teaching. I got switched hours. What's up? You're on speaker, by the way. Someone's birthday? My daughter. Does she know that? Holy Steinballs. <laughs> we got to work quick. I don't know. I'll teach for like another 20 minutes, something like that. All right, you want to call me? I will call you, but let's all jump in my van with the community. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's all jump in my van and take her out somewhere. Okay. Okay. Otherwise, I could bring, yeah, okay, you'll call me in a little bit. I'll call you in a while. Of course, she had to hear like 90% girls. My wife just loves Asia Tara. So. Welcome to Kabbalistic Corner. There are ways out of this place. It's called the Kafa Kela. So, listen, I'm telling you guys, listen up. There, there are ways out. The ways out aren't simple. What? It's hard to do stuff when you're dead, but when there's, there are ways out. Um, one of the ways out is um, there are people who know how to go, out, back, go, out, go in and get you which is really interesting because there was a film called What Dreams May Come. It's worth watching, although I didn't enjoy the film, but it did have a suicide, and this her husband, who loved her so much, figured out how to go back and get her. And so there are... But the people who can go... The people who... What's that? That's why I always go into a Kabbalistic corner for this. First of all, to scare the suicidal people. Also, the only people who know how to go in and get them are are highly masterful Kabbalistic, um, you know, leaders. Like, really, you have to know a lot, a lot of Kabbalah to go into the Kafa Kela. I mean, who knows how to go in there? You, you know? Like you have to... Earth? You bring No, you bring them to, to their death. You can get them out of here. Like where we go when we die. Oh, okay. Send them on the way. Yeah, there's another way, which is really scary. You ready for this? Yeah. They can... They can... Uh, they can... Uh, what's the word when you jump aboard something? Stowaway, like a stowaway, like jumps aboard a train they're not supposed to be on, like they jumped on. You can, they, a Kafakela soul can stow away on the soul of someone unconscious. Meaning they passed out or they, they died and now they're unconscious and the body hasn't been buried yet. So this is why there's a way to prevent uh, these things that are called... It's kind of like a possession. The way you prevent someone from doing that is you never... Uh, oh, they can't possess a body as long as there's another person in the room. That's why when a Jew dies, there's all, 24-7 until the burial, there's someone with them called a shomer. And the shomer... What are you being shomer? You're shomering the body from an ibur neshama, which is called a, a possession. That one of the kafakela souls don't come in like and like take over that person's soul. So, yeah, it seems like a kindness, you know. It's like, it's like getting a big van, you know, like put more people in there. 
Um, you wouldn't want that. If, if you're being judged for your life upstairs, uh, it's your life. It's not some other bozo who, like, jumped in. Well, you know. Tells them what? Oh, how they do that? They usually have a relationship with the person. Like, we had a possession in, uh, in Beersheba, I think, or Demona. Yeah, Demona, that's where the nuclear power plant that we don't have is. And uh, so... In Demona, they, uh, there, there was a woman who died, and she, she died in childbirth. And the late husband who had died, the late husband who had died a couple months earlier in an accident or whatever, um, well, I wonder if that husband committed suicide. I never found that out. Anyway, he wound up in the Kafakela, but it turns out his pregnant wife wasn't pregnant with his baby. And once he was in the soul realms, he was able to see things and, and then decided when she, she died in the hospital bed. Now, they revived her. Obviously, it's a good place to die is on a hospital bed. It's harder when you die in another place. But they brought her back with, I don't know, the people jumper cables or whatever. And she's brought back. And guess what? She has a man's voice. And it's not just any man. It's her ex. Her, not her ex. Her husband. Her husband, get this, he's trying to kill her from inside. He's trying to kill her from inside. Freak out on that. By the way, all of you can like, I imagine this on YouTube because I, I only found it. I was in L.A. at the time. I was visiting L.A. I got to listen live to the exorcism because the, the Kabbalists went down to get this guy the hell out of this soul of the lady. Because she was alive now, back in her house, with a man's voice, talking about her, what she had done. Which is back to the microphone on the head. You know? Like, we've gone full circle. You can Google it. You can Google this one. Because I, I was listening to recordings. Of I didn't get to see, I heard there were videos, but this was like pre-smartphone. You saw it too? No, no, he saw the video. Wait, Rabbi, if God knows, if God already planned out our life, then how does he not know about our suicide? He does. Oh, God knows about that. You have to have free will to be able to do it, though. Okay, here we go. Guys, we're, can't you see we're in the middle of a class? <laughs> Mr. Digression. You know, like, okay, would you like to go back to Kabbalah? Just kidding. We're not going to Kabbalah's corner. Here we go. Guys, we're going to finish in a few minutes. Yo, 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 yo. You have how you're going to behave. You're going to either behave based on the conscience or ignore the conscience. And have another drink. Yes, there's a God. No, there's a God. It affects your behavior. Because if there's a God, the conscience is a God-given thing as a compass to navigate your life and your choices. Right? Why else would you have a conscience? It's anti-Darwinian. So your conscience is there to help you navigate. As if there's a God. But then you have the moment of truth is dying. There either was a God or there wasn't a God. There either was a God or there wasn't a God. So, according to Pascal, he says, behave as if there is a God. Why? Because if there's not a God, it don't matter. Because it's all, it's over. I mean, there's nothing. You know, you die, you're like an organism that dies. You know, like an ant. It's flat like an ant. If there is a God, so then you're, you're in good shape. Because you used your God-given conscience to navigate your life. So Pascal says, behave as if there's a God in case there is one. Because if there isn't one, it, nothing matters anyway. And if there, ain't, if there is one, you're in good shape for having listened to your conscience. Clear? That's Pascal. Now, are Jews agnostics? Do you think I'm an agnostic? No. Do you, you, not even a little. Do you think I'm an agnostic? No. Do you, have you, here's a crazy question. You want to hear a crazy question? Have you ever met a fully observant Jew 
Not the kinds that are brainwashed by their parents. I'm talking about like someone who's really choosing it. Have you ever met a fully observant, choosing Jew who was who was agnostic? Doesn't exist. So what happened to Pascal's wager? Because nobody's gonna be living a fully observant life on the maybe there's a God. Why? You see, for Pascal, he was a Christian. What, do you, what does a Christian really have to do? You know, say three Hail Marys and call me in the morning? Like, what do they got to do? Turn the other cheek? There's no obligations. There's no liabilities to being a Christian. It's all upside. You know, it really makes you wonder, like, how low can your IQ be? When someone's selling you something with a, a heavenly upside, zero downside, which doesn't exist anywhere in all of, in all of reality, a full upside and no downside. Like, I mean, you have to be of low IQ to buy into that. On the one hand, if you're of low IQ, it's the best thing you ever heard. Hey, I'm in. You know, the free car. Get a free car. You know, this is why uh, I had a group of, uh, had a group of uh, Christians once uh, kind of attack me, and not physically, and, and they were with their pastor, and and so I said to the pastor, I said, do you believe God's a just God? And the pastor's like, yes. And I said, I said, well, and how could it be that someone can live their life, lie, cheating, stealing, a menace to society? And according to you, on his deathbed, he accepts JC as his savior. He gets eternal heaven. Whereas someone like me, who wakes up every single day and spends those next 17 hours, waking hours, praying and studying the law of the, of the prophecy and, and keeping all the mitzvahs and, and raising a giant family, all, you know, like just incredible amounts of money put into all this and blood, sweat, and tears of living an observant lifestyle. According to you, when I die, I'm going to eternal hell. Didn't you just say it's a just God? What kind of just God would have that system? And the pastor's like, well, that's just what we believe. <laughs> and then he says, come on, everybody, we got to go. And then everyone like starts moving out of the restaurant where we were. And while they were going, they were like, had to file through the door. So I was going like, It's part of a whole class I have called Fun with Christians. <laughs> I rarely do this because I don't think it's very good for my career to speak this way. Although what does happen is I get more and more of these people who were raised Christian who watch my live feed. Um, hi to everyone who's watching now who's from this group. And they become what's called B'nai Noach. B'nai Noach are people raised Usually they're raised Christian, but not always. They're raised Christian and they, they hear enough Torah classes and they're just like, I can't go back to church, you know. <laughs> and, and so they, they just become what's called righteous Gentiles. Righteous Gentiles. And that's, that's cool, man. Righteous Gentile. Like, you don't have to believe in stuff like that. You can just be a good person. You know, but they're, they are a little desperate. They always want to do stuff, you know. I, I, you can watch them. Go on YouTube and watch these people. They're like, they, they get together in India, they all get together and they want to like, they sing songs and Jewish songs, Shema Yisrael, and they like, they're really starting to develop themselves. And in fact, there's now a center for them in the old city, in the Jewish quarter, a center for B'nai Noach. And anyone who would like to message me can certainly, Yom Tov Glazer, Gmail, can certainly um, be part of it, you know, come to Israel and study with them. Like, it's classes, and there's even, I think, place to stay. And, uh, and also, please help support it. You know, and I'm sure we'll do a lot of kindness for people. Um, just to finish this up, why are Jews not agnostics? Meaning, sorry, observant Jews. Because you don't believe that there's an option that there's not a God. So the answer is, you know what, do you guys want to finish because... I mean, it is 5.30. Should we finish? or you, Are you guys enjoying yourselves? Yeah. Should I keep going a little more, or should we finish? Keep going. I'll go a little more. It's my daughter's birthday, and we're hoping she doesn't know that. You need to go. You can go if you got to go. Please. So, yo. 
The next level person is called the believer. The believer. And the believer believes that there's something out there. They believe there's something out there. Yeah? And they, but they really believe. I mean, they'll do crazy stuff. They'll strap bombs to themselves. They'll sacrifice animals. They'll, they'll do all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. They'll, uh, you know, they'll do all kinds of weird things. Believers are, believers really believe there's something out there and they'll risk their lives for it. Believers. Now tell me, are Jews believers? Yeah. Jews believers? Tell me, is the word emuna the word belief? Mm, no, it's not, is it? And our commandment is to have emuna in Hashem, but it does not mean belief. Did you know that the Rambam says that a Jew who believes in God does not get the reward for the, command, the commandment? Meaning the, the most important commandment of the whole entire Torah is that there's a God, that you should know that. And according to the Rambam, if you believe it but don't know it, meaning there's room for doubt, if you believe it but don't know it, you don't get reward for that commandment. And the most important commandment, everything's contingent on that commandment. Like, like what good is a mitzvah that someone did who didn't know there was a God? You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Like, here you are building this gorgeous sukkah, throwing big sukkah parties. And you're shaking around your cosmic vegetation. And you got a thousand dollar pair to fill in. And et cetera, et cetera. And making all kinds of sacrifices for Shabbos, but you're not sure there's a God. It's like, do you get any commandment? Do you get the reward of a commandment when you didn't even believe in the first place or know in the first place that there's even a God? It's a, I'm just asking philosophical questions right now. But Judaism, the commandment in Judaism is not to believe there's a God. It's to know there's a God. By the way, the, you get what? So then you'll get as much of reward. For knowing? No, you get, more, you get reward because all, all, everything's contingent on you knowing there's a God. Now, what do you do? Your parents raised you believing in God. How are you supposed to get to knowing there's a God? And the answer is that you've got to figure it out. There's a childlike belief in God, and then there's an adult-like knowledge. Now, would, it, would you guys all like the, just for fun, you want to do the, uh, the, I forget how many seconds, my proof of God. How long is my proof of God? Four second proof of God? Thank you. Uh, would everyone like my four second proof of God? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Because then you can all do this mitzvah forever and ever, okay, of knowing there's a God. And by the way, if you did no other mitzvahs, but you did this one, you're in great shape. You did all the mitzvahs and not this one, I'm not sure what happens. So these are like, everything's pivoting on this. So it's worth this, just to know there's a God. Ready? Before there was something, what was there? Nothing. nothing. Okay, everyone say the word nothing. nothing. Before there was something, there was? Nothing. nothing. Now what does nothing make? Nothing. nothing makes nothing, right? If there is nothing in this cup and we seal it off and we come back a year later, what's in the cup? Nothing. Two years. Year. A thousand years. Nothing. A billion years. Nothing, nothing makes? Nothing. Nothing makes nothing. Now, we all know before there was something, there was nothing, right? Outside there, there's nothing. That's why theoretical physics departments exist, okay? Before there was something, there was nothing. Here it goes. You ready for the four-second proof of God? Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Should I say it again? I'll say it again fast, and then we'll break it down. Before there was something, there was nothing, and since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Before there was something, there was... You guys help me. Before there was something, there was... Nothing. And since nothing makes... Nothing. And now that there's... Nothing. It must be that the nothing was God. Because nothing makes nothing. And we know there was once nothing. So how in the world did we get here? Unless that nothing was God. Now, by the way, let's say... I don't know anyone in here. Uh, I like this guy in the back. What's your name? Yeah. Let's say Daniel is the first human being ever. He's like this mad scientist, walks in the room, and like is the first person ever to create something from nothing. You know what we're going to call him? God. Because God doesn't mean anything. The word G-O-D doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a name you give something that creates something from nothing. And since that's never happened before, except for creating the world, obviously. The world itself came from nothing. 
And, and when you get really Kabbalistic, it, in Kabbalistic corner, it comes, it's not that it came from nothing, it's coming from nothing, which is really cool stuff, but we're not going to go there now. It's coming from nothing. That's the fun work. But we're not believers. We are what? Knowers. <laughs> yeah, knowers are. So we are knowers. Now we also believe there's something out there. Okay? There's something out there. So we know there's something out there and we call it God. And we use our brains to figure that out. We've got to know. But guess what? Guess what? What's wrong with the picture? Because if there's an unlimited, if there's an infinite being that's beyond space and time out there, then why did I, why did, why did I limit it to out there? You understand? If it's an infinite being, what's the definition of infinite? Unlimited by space and time. So if, an, if there's a being that is an unlimited by space and time, so what's wrong with the picture? His head is not on straight. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say it again. If this being is unlimited by space and time, What's wrong with the picture? It's only outside space and time. It it's got to be inside space and time. It's unlimited by space and time. It's a being that's beyond space and time. So it has to also be inside space and time. So this is a God that's not only outside space and time, but it's also what? Inside space and time. Inside space and time. Now you realize why we cover our eyes when we say Shema. You know, we close our eyes when we say God is one. We cover our eyes, double covering, eyelids and hand. We cover our eyes when we say Shema. Because God's not only outside space and time, God's also inside space and time. And that's Shema. Now I can bring the circle back if you want. Because there is a difference between out and in. But it's all one with God. And we have different names of God. We say Shema Yisrael, Hashem, that's what surrounds space and time. Elokeinu is what fills space and time. Hashem, that which is God. Echad, it's all one. It's all one. Now this is a far cry from the atheist. It is like, this world's real, this world's real, this world's so very real. The Ignatius is like, this world's real, this world's real. I wonder what's outside this world. The believer's like, this world's real, this world's real. We also believe in Krusty the Clown. The believer's like, this world's not real. This world's an illusion. We live inside a digital simulation. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, I want to make sure I'm saying the right stuff here inside the digital simulation. I don't want to mess with the vibrations. And I better make sure I'm eating the right things. And I want to make sure I'm honest in business. And I want to make sure that I'm like really, really honoring of people, especially the opposite gender. Be careful of their honor. And I want to make sure that I am using my mental real estate for the good. And I want to make sure that my beer is really hoppy. Craft beer has hops in it when it's got extra hops. It's called an IPA, which is Indian Pale Ale, because the Indians put double the hops so it would preserve the beer till it arrived. And it's just the most delicious thing in the world. It smells like passion fruit. Tastes like the Garden of Eden. Liquid God. So when you are... This is what I call here... These people, like Western religions and stuff, I call them softcore monotheists. Whereas Judaism is what? Hardcore monotheism. 
Like, we don't mean... These people believe there's one God. They believe there's one God out there. Judaism believes that God is one. Both surrounding and filling. Like a burrito, right? He's the tortilla. But he's also the rice and beans. So God's not like something out there you believe in. God's something intimately bound up with creation, creating this place from nothing to something at all times. In fact, there is no such thing as time. Think about that. If God's creating this world at all times, so there's no such thing as time. There's only now, 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 now. Coming from nothing. Just now. Meaning all there ever has been. And if you think about it in your own life, has there ever been any time in your entire life that it wasn't now? You ever had a moment in your life where it wasn't that moment? You've only had now. Think about it. Your whole life's just been now. It's just a, a, a long series of now. Which means it's always been now. And it always will be now. I'm sorry? What? Yeah, try teaching about it. Okay, um, so ladies and gentlemen, just to conclude today's class, it's over. <laughs> Shalom. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.